Hey, a really cool thing happened yesterday. We had um, breakfast with Santa, and we had about 150 kids that uh, got their pictures taken with Santa, got engaged with a lot of parents. And it hit me that for some of those kids, that might have been the only uh, picture they were able to get with Santa. And so uh, thank you to all the volunteers uh, who did that. Um, Right after this celebration, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to meet you. And so we're going to have First Steps with Chris uh, right after this. It'll be in the Jar Cafe where the donuts are. Um, It will take less than an hour, so you can go see the Colts or whoever your team is play at 1 o'clock. I don't even know if you call the Colts a team anymore, but anyway, uh, they're there. And uh, so we really want to encourage you to, uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, please go there. And um, we have lunch provided, child care is provided. Very laid back. It'll just be a way for me to get to know you a little bit better and share uh, our story together. And like I said, we should be done no later uh, than 12.45, 1 o'clock. Well, we're in week two of our Christmas series called Home for Christmas. And what I want to talk about today is this particular question. How do you prepare for difficult people that are in your family that will be home for Christmas, okay? How do you prepare for difficult people, whether it's family or friends, distant relatives, that are going to be home for Christmas? Now, let me say who this message is not for, okay? If when you go home, you have no difficult people, this message is not for you, okay? This message is not for you if everybody who's going to be sitting around the table has emotional intelligence and they're relationally mature. If there's nobody around the table who ever, uh, you know, kind of gets you sidetracked and you have a really hard time following them because they talk all over the place. This message is not for you if you have no conflict that will arise. If nobody gets sarcastic, if nobody digs underneath your skin about that thing you said two years ago, if nobody talks too much or drinks too much or smokes too much or brags too much or is too opinionated, if you have no relational difficulties in your family, no divorces to create issues, if the kids always have been encouraged by their parents and there's no pressure on them and the parents have always had nothing but joy for their children and the choices that they made, no addictions, no alcohol, no job problems, no insults, no crying babies, no difficulties of any kind, if there's no difficulty in your family whatsoever. This message is not for you. Now, this church might not be for you either. Because nobody is perfect in this church. Everyone is welcome, but nobody is perfect. Now, for the rest of our time, I want us to talk about how we prepare for difficult people, and I want to do that by having you look at a clip. Nobody left the building, so I'm assuming you all have difficult people in your family. So no one left, and what I want you to do is to look at a movie clip of one of my favorite movies, uh, Home Alone. And our family watches this every single Christmas, and there is a little boy by 
The name of what? Those of you that remember. What's his name? Kevin. That's right. There's a little boy named Kevin, and Kevin loves his family, but his family drives him crazy. And so one day, he makes a wish that they would just go away. And he wakes up the next morning, and they're all gone. Let's take a look at this clip. I made my family disappear. Kevin, you're completely helpless. No, Kevin, you're with the French call Les Incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a disease. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did, you little jerk. I made my family disappear. Okay, don't raise your hand on this one. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had the thought, I wish there was one person in my family that would disappear? Don't raise your hands, okay? First celebration, I had three people over here raising their hands. And their family was sitting there. I'm like, that's not good, you know? Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, you can do that. You can make your family disappear. It's called murder. Now... You can get 50 years in prison for that, or maybe more, maybe life. I would not encourage it. God says it's not a good thing, okay? Now, sometimes the problem that we have is when we look at the Christmas story, we think all is calm, all is bright, everything is wonderful. There's Mary and Joseph, the little baby Jesus right there, and we love the baby Jesus. And, you know, we have the wise men and the shepherds, and everything looks wonderful. And we think there'll be no issues whatsoever. There are no difficult people or challenging people in the Christmas story. And if you've ever thought that before, you're wrong. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the characters that are a part of the Christmas story who are difficult people because those same characters are going to be sitting around your Christmas table this year. Here's the first one. Disappointed people. Disappointed people. You are going to have some disappointed people that are around your table this Christmas. I mean, there are some people when they walk in, they just feel disappointed. Man, my life didn't turn out the way that I wanted, and it's so bad, and everything's bad. And disappointed people, that can like infect the whole family sometimes when you're sitting around a table. Now, the disappointed people in the Christmas story are two individuals named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they were the aunt and uncle of Jesus. They had a son named John, who was Jesus' cousin. Now, what we know about these people is that they did their best to try to honor and serve God their entire life. And they wanted children really, really bad, but they were never able to have their own kids. And we come to the part of the story that they're quite old. Now, folks, infertility can be a painful thing. Some of you who are sitting here today, you know what that's like. And at Christmas time, it brings even more pain. Now, in the ancient world, what added to this whole 
sadness and pain of being barren was that there was actually a stigma that would be attached to that person that would say, you messed up. There's something wrong with you. You must not have obeyed God. You must not have valued God. You must not have honored God. And so because of that, you aren't able to have children. And in particular, in the ancient world, it was always the woman's fault. She did something that prevented them from having children. Well, Zachariah and Elizabeth now are very old people. But just think about that. That you get married maybe in your teens or 20s. You go through your whole life. You're now 70, 80, 90 years old. And you're going through this whole process. And people look at you all the time in the culture and say, Man, there's something messed up with them. Something has happened to them. That's why they're not able to have children. And just imagine the strain that that would put on a marriage that if people were always talking behind your back because you weren't able to have kids. Well, one day, out of the blue, when they're very, very old, they're given the promise that they're going to have a child. And you would think that they would be ecstatic and, and overwhelmed and just ready to go to have this child. You see, an angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was like a, a pastor. And he's in the temple, and he's a very old man. And this angel comes and speaks to him and says, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to finally have a child. And you would think that his immediate response would be, Hallelujah! Awesome! That's great! It's finally come! We're going to have a child. But instead, this is what Zechariah said to the angel. It'll come up on the side screen. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Notice here, he doesn't believe the angel. So the angel said to him, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. Now, I don't know what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth within this nine-month period. But we do know one thing. He was never able to talk. I wonder if Elizabeth was ever tempted during this time. All these years, all these people said it was my fault that we couldn't have children. And here you are, preacher boy, priest boy, thinking that you have all the faith and you don't even believe the angel. And he can't say anything back. And you know what's even worse? There's no ESPN. Like he can't drift off and go, uh-huh, yeah, it was. <laughs> Does that happen in your household? Okay, don't, don't admit it, but, you know, men sometimes when we're watching sports, we go, oh, yeah, sell the house, you know, get rid of the car, sell the children. Yeah, that's good. Love you, honey. You know, that's going to end it. But all he can do is Listen. And he listens. And just think about this. Every day he comes home from the temple. And he walks in. And she's telling him, how was your day? How are you doing? Did you think I looked fat this morning? And he can't say anything. He just has to stand there. And this rambling goes on and on and on. And they are disappointed people. 
Well, there's another group of people that are a part of the Christmas story, and those are stressed people. Stressed people. Folks, there are going to be some stressed people that are going to be around your tables this Christmas. Let me tell you about two of them who were way outstressed, especially during this time of the ancient world. Now, most of us, again, when we look at the manger scene, we look at that and we see Mary and Joseph and the baby. And again, we think all is calm, all is bright away in the manger. Oh, this little infant child is born today. But when you think about exactly historically what was going on in their lives, you realize that they must have been stressed out. I mean, Mary was only 13 or 14 years old, most scholars say, and she is engaged to be married. And this is what we are told happens. Here's the next scripture. Before they came together, in other words, before they became husband and wife, before they were sexually intimate, she, Mary, was found to be pregnant because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Before they are ever sexually connected as husband and wife, Mary is pregnant. Now, who knew that Mary was pregnant? Do you know how that works? Do we have to do a biology class? Who would know? Mary! It's not a trick question, folks. Those are like, I don't know. Big old stomach out there. You're pregnant? You pregnant? Nope. No, you know who's pregnant. If you're a woman and you're pregnant, you're pregnant. You know it. Mary knew that. Well, Mary then would have known she's pregnant, so she goes to Joseph. And, of course, when a woman finds out she's pregnant, most of the time they're pretty excited. And she's like, hey, Joseph, look, I'm pregnant. And and this angel came to me in a dream, and we're not just going to have any child. We're going to have the Son of God to be able to raise. And you're going to be a part of this process. We're going to raise him together. But Joseph did not quite believe the story. He knows there is only one way for a woman to get pregnant, and he wasn't in on the action. And so if it wasn't him, who's the guy? Who's the one? And so Scripture says that because of this, he decides that he'll divorce her. Quietly. Joseph is like, really, Mary? (laughs) Like, really? That's the best you could do is to make up an angel and then say that the angel said you got pregnant by the Spirit of God? Really, Mary, that's what you're going to give me. And so he goes ahead and he divorces her. Now, think about this. You're 13 or 14. More than likely, your parents have pushed you out of the house because you're engaged and now you're pregnant. If you were pregnant in that culture during this time and you were not engaged to be married to someone, one of the penalties was you would be stoned to death. And now the only thing that she has in her life is that Joseph hopefully is going to stick with her and Joseph walks. And she's hurt and she's sad and she's stressed out. But then Joseph gets this visit from an angel And all of a sudden, things change a little bit because he's like, oh, 
I think it's true. And so he goes back to her and he says, you know what? On second thoughts, let's not do this divorce thing. I think it's going to be great. We're going to be fine. Let's go ahead and let's get married. Now, I don't know how Mary responded when Joseph came back and said, ah, maybe you were right. This is what I know works in my marriage. If my wife comes and she tells me something and I don't believe her, it is not good. You know what they say? Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if it was an angel or it was whatever, I'd be like, Jen, I believe you, you know, because I know what's going to happen. And so there's this little tension that's going on at this time, even if it's an angel story. So Mary is pregnant, and on top of that, now all of a sudden, they have to go to Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem to pay their taxes. Rome put this tax out, which we talked about last week. So this impoverished couple is in financial stress. Now, some of you might be asking, Chris, are you making that up? How do we know they were poor? After Jesus was born, eight days after that, they dedicate him at the temple. And scripture tells us that the offering that they gave was two doves, were two doves. And two doves were for the peasants, the poorest of poor That's the offering that they gave. So they're financially crushed, and now they have to go to Bethlehem, and she's pregnant, and it's not a good thing in the fact that she has to be on a donkey or she walks. We're not necessarily sure, but they travel all the way, and there's this difficult road that they're on, and the weather's not good. And those of you who are women who have had children, you know that, you know, Traveling when you're pregnant is not always a fun thing. And now all of a sudden, you're in ancient times where no one cares. And Mary is like, well, at least when we get to Bethlehem, we'll have a place to stay. And then they get to Bethlehem, and what happens? Joseph screwed up! And Mary comes to him, and she's like, are you serious? We have no place to stay? I mean, I know you're not a planner. All you men, you're not planners. I get that. But you could have got us at least a roach motel. But no, we're just like out here. What are we going to do? Have the baby out in the Airbnb, you know? We got nothing. What are we going to do? And Mary and Joseph, you think about it. Now all of a sudden you're like, man, I'd be stressed. Yeah, they were. They were stressed. It gets even worse. There's another character that comes onto the scene, and some of you may have these kind of people that will be around your tables this Christmas, and and they're called unsafe people. Unsafe people. Sometimes when we go back home and we haven't seen everybody, there's always one relative maybe who's just a little bit unsafe. But whoever the most unsafe person is that's in your family system, I doubt that they're any less unsafe than Herod, the great. Uh, let's just say this, by the way. If you have a family member and they have a nickname and they add to it the great, they probably have some ego issues, okay? Just saying, just saying, okay? So he's not just Herod. He's like Herod the great. I've had some of your families when somebody walks in, you don't think that, but everyone's talking and they're in their mind. They're like, oh, yeah, they think they're better than us. Mm, you see the head starting to move? I'm going to the kitchen. You know what going to the kitchen is? I want to avoid everybody that's in the family room. I'm going to the kitchen. Imagine living 
in this stress. And Herod doesn't want any other king. He wants to be the only king. And so this is what he decides. He says, well, I'm going to actually make a rule that we are going to kill every baby boy two years and older in Bethlehem because I've got word that the new king might be there, so we're going to kill whoever that is. So here's what happens. Here's the scripture. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Think about this, folks. These are real people. This is a real story. This isn't some fairy tale. This is the real deal. And the angel said, Take the child and the mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So not only is Mary pregnant, and not only are they dealing with financial stress, and not only do they have the pressure of having to go to his hometown and then to have the baby, but he's not really the father, but he's there. And they're not having just any baby, but think of the pressure of being the son of God. That's who you have to raise. And then to top it off, the king, Herod himself, is trying to kill your little boy that you think you're supposed to protect, and they're going to have to leave that place too. Because now they can't stay in Bethlehem, they have to go to Egypt, and what do we know about Egypt? Well, in Egypt they have no money, they have no home, they have no family, they have no tribe. They don't know the country, they don't know the culture, they don't know the language. But they wind up living in Egypt. Now, those of you who know any history of the Bible at all, you'll know that Egypt, was it a good place or a bad place for Jewish people? Bad! For 400 years, they were in slavery. It wasn't like they had big welcome signs going, come on in. No one who was Jewish wanted to go back to that place. Immigration was a very difficult thing during this time, and Mary and Joseph were foreigners living in a foreign land. Folks, this is the idea that the manger may not be as clean and nice as you might think. All is calm, all is bright away in the manger. I don't think so. Then there are some more characters. These will be around your Christmas table too. They are different people. Different people. Uh, Value differences, personality difference, political differences, cultural differences. Now these different people show up in the Christmas story as well. And they're called the Magi, where we get our word magic from. And we might call them the wise men as well. We don't know too much about them. But Scripture does tell us this in Matthew, that the Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. More than likely, scholars believe that they came from the area of Persia or Babylonia, which would have been present-day Iran or Iraq. How well does Israel and Iran and Iraq deal with one another? Not good. Not good at all. And, and they still don't, even to this day. So we're not just talking about anything, but 2,000 years have come and gone, and it's still not a good thing. And these guys that came, they knew this. They weren't Israelites. They didn't worship the one true God. They were astrologers, which meant they looked at these stars, and that was their God. But in Israel, astrology was forbidden. The Magi, the wise men, were different people. And you're going to have some different people 
at your tables at Christmas. Here's the last group that was a part of the Christmas story, and that is embarrassing people. There were embarrassing people at the Christmas story, and there'll be embarrassing people at your Christmas celebrations. You might be that person. Now, in the Christmas story, this is the shepherds. We talked about them last week, so I won't spend a whole bunch of time in that. Simply to say that they were a despised occupation. In other words, they were one of the lowest occupations there were. No one wanted to be around them. They weren't safe. They were thieves. They were thought of as untrustworthy and dishonest. And shepherds were looked down upon, so much so that they were not allowed to be a witness in a court of law. So during this time, they could not be a witness in any kind of civil or criminal trial. Literally, if you were accused of a crime and your only alibi was I was playing poker with three other shepherds, here they are, shepherd one, two, and three, guess what they're going to tell you? Guilty! You're done. We don't believe shepherds. We don't want shepherds around. They're too embarrassing for our culture. Now, I was thinking about it this week. Think about it. You're 13 or 14. You finally get your marriage halfway kind of figured out that you're going to stick together and you're going to have the son of God and the baby comes and these shepherds show up. And then all of a sudden, I have a feeling Mary probably looked at Joseph and said, watch him. Don't let him take the baby. Whatever you do, don't let him take the baby. You know, a lot of times, folks, we look at the Christmas story and we think it's easy and calm and bright, but the reality is, folks, there are some really difficult people that are present there. And so this Christmas, for some of you, when you go home for Christmas, you may have some people like this, disappointed people, stressed out people, unsafe people, different people, embarrassing people. And the question is, What gift are you going to bring to your family? What gift are you going to bring to your extended family? Well, let's look back at the Christmas story one last time to a guy by the name of John who was one of Jesus' disciples. And he writes from a heavenly kind of perspective. And as he writes, this is what he said. The Word, another phrase, Word, Jesus Christ, the same thing. The Word, the Son of God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have, soon, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? What's it say? What is it? Grace and truth. So the first two gifts that I want to challenge you to take home this Christmas when you're going home, from, going home for Christmas and you need help, is grace and truth, because that's who Jesus was. That's who his nature was. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. So let's talk about the first one, grace. Folks, this gift is something that you can give to your family and your friends and those that you connect with this Christmas. Jesus did this all the time. He gave grace to people. There's a story in the Bible in which one day there is a woman who is caught in adultery. 
And after she's called in adultery, the religious leaders bring him up to Jesus. And the religious leaders say, we caught this woman in adultery. The law says that she should be stoned to death. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You, she should. And so they're like, oh, Jesus, man, we're glad. You know the law. And so they all pick up their rocks, and they're just getting ready to stone her. And Jesus says this. He says, you without sin, guys, just one thing. You without sin, you cast the first stone. Any of you without sin. And you know what was heard next? All these rocks dropping left, right, left, right. All the rocks are dropped. They're taken off. Jesus is just writing in the ground, the scripture says. And all of a sudden, everyone is gone except Jesus himself. And Jesus asked the woman this question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Folks, Jesus came to the world... Not to condemn the world, but to save it, to make it right, to make your families right, to give grace. Because Jesus is full of grace. And no matter how much people achieve, how successful they are, the one person in your family who is arrogant and they've got all the initials at the end of their name and they've been successful in everything that they've done and sometimes you can't stand them, well, get over it, folks, because you know what they need? They need grace from you. And you can be, you, sitting in your seat right now, you know what you can be? You can be a grace giver this Christmas. Last week, my uh, check oil engine light went on, and it stayed on. But I kept thinking, well, it hadn't been 3,000 miles, so maybe there's just like a glitch, you know, and it stays on for the whole week. Well, the next week starts, and the check engine oil light comes on again, and I'm thinking, I don't think that's probably good. And so this was my thought. I've got some oil in the garage. haven't used that oil in about five years, but uh, I'll get that oil. I'll put that in there, and everything will be fine. And something in my mind just said, well, you should ask one of your buddies uh, named Gary, who's a really wise guy, and he would tell you the truth. He knows all kinds of things. And so I call Gary up. I'm like, hey, Gary. I'm like, you got this check engine oil light, and I was going to get some oil just from my... Uh, you know, garage and put it in there and we're, we're going to do that. You think that would be all right? And he goes, are you an idiot? It's like you don't put old oil into that. you got to go to the store, get a brand new one, and then put that oil in. I'm thinking, oh, okay. And this, this guy, he's, he's a successful business person. He's one of those guys that when the business does well, he gets a percentage of everything the business makes. So he does well. And he's bright, he's intelligent. He was always someone that when he would tell stories, I'm like, that wasn't my high school career. Like, I set the bench on on the basketball team. And he was like a star baseball player. He's much better at golf than I am. He's the most organized person I've ever met in my life. In fact, whenever he's around, and uh, he's such a nice guy. You know what? You know one of those guys that he's so nice, you could never be as nice as him. And then your wife comes up and goes, why can't you be more like Gary? And he's so organized, and he's nice, he's wonderful. Well, this past year, his father died. And so I'm on this phone talking about oil, and he's like, you're an idiot, go get this. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then I said, well, uh, this being your first Christmas without your dad, um, I just wondered, what are you going to miss most from him? And it was very interesting what he said. He said, I'm going to miss his smile and laughter because when I would go into a room 
and I was down and discouraged. His smile and laughter would just build me up and I'd have a bad day. And then all of a sudden, it would be just a good day. But he said, most of all, this is what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss him physically being in my corner. Because no matter what's going on, he accepted me without fault. He was my cheerleader when no one was cheering for me. Folks, you know what that is? That's grace. That's grace. Someone who accepts you and loves you and cares for you and they're in your corner and they never walk away and they're always going to be there even when the rest of the world walks away no matter what. That's grace. Grace is not judgment, folks. Grace is about acceptance of the people that are difficult for us to accept. I'm in no position to judge anybody. You may look at somebody and you might say, well, they deserve it. They deserve what they get. Of course they don't. Because that's not grace. And you don't deserve what you should get and I don't deserve what I should get because we get grace from a loving God. Only God knows what anybody deserves. But often what happens in our blindness, we look at their behavior or their character and we're just like Ugh. i mean i don't know your background i don't know what's happened in your life i don't know what kind of parents you had i don't know what's happened with you i don't know the wounds you've had the scars you've had the hurts you've had folks i'm in no position to judge anybody only god knows but when i give grace to someone i recognize that I don't know your whole story, but this is what I know. God gave me something that I didn't deserve, and I'm going to give it to you. And I love you. I'm going to do my best to know how to love you and care for you and to reach out to you. I am for you. I accept you. Folks, that's grace. Jesus was full of grace. But it wasn't grace only. Sometimes people think Scripture is only one side. There's two sides to the coin. It's not just grace, but it's also a second thing called truth. Jesus was full of grace, but Jesus was also full of truth. But many times what happens is we don't like to tell people the truth. But this is what I found. Sometimes people need the truth. Several years ago, we were at a men's Ball State basketball game, and my daughters were three and five, and there was a guy who sat in front of us who was just a guy that did not like kids. And you know how I knew this? Because every time our kids would eat popcorn or, uh, you know, uh, eat cotton candy or talk too loud or yell or scream or whatever it was, he would do one of these. Well, this went on for like pretty much the whole season. And finally, I, my girls were three and five and they sat behind him one day. And little girls who are three and five, when they're on a seat that... Uh, their legs can't touch the ground, what do they do? Start kicking your feet. And we would be there, you know, you always do that as a parent. Don't kick, don't kick, don't kick. Well, they're just kids, and, and one just barely brushed his seat. And he turned around, and he looked at my wife like this. He goes, why don't you get your kids under control? Whew. 
And immediately, and I wanted to say this exactly as I could remember, this is what my wife said. They're fine. You're out of control. Go find another seat. I love my wife, but man, she can bring some truth up in somebody's life, you know. So the next year we come in, they were an older couple, and, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, this is going to be kind of awkward. And we get there, and they're not sitting in front of us. They don't sit in front of us for a while. And I'm thinking, Jen killed them. <laughs> you know, like they're dead, that, that, that comment or something. And then one day I walked in, and they weren't sitting in front of us. And I looked up, and five rows above, they were sitting at a place where it would be very difficult for anyone to kick your chair. And I prayed right in that moment, God, send a kid to chick- kick their chair. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. You know, this is what I found. When I have to tell truth to somebody, it's always really good in my imagination. Like, I have a great imagination to tell the truth to somebody. I mean, when I tell the truth in my imagination to someone, I am unbelievably articulate, I'm very direct, I'm kind and loving, but I'm direct. I'll say exactly what I think needs to be said. And in my imagination, they come back and they're like, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I didn't know I had that blind spot. I I really want to change. Uh, I'm telling you. Then when I finally get there, sometimes it feels so awkward. And I don't really know what to say. And I start thinking, is this the right time? Should I say it? Should I not say it? Now, sometimes if I'm angry, I have no problem at all saying it. If I'm angry, sometimes it's like backing up the dump truck, you know, beep, beep, beep. And I'll put a load on somebody, you know. Folks, that's not how God wants us to act. And it damages people when we do that. It's not good. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. He said, when it comes to truth, this is how it should be done. He says, speak the truth in love. Let's say that out loud together, all of us, in one voice, okay? One, two, three. Speak the truth in love. Folks, we can't grow without grace, but we can't grow without truth. So this Christmas, there's going to be some people around you that are going to be gossips, and they'll be talking about everybody. Some people are hurting other people in your family, and you know it. There are some people who are going to be too clingy, some people too needy, some people who talk too much, some people who never listen, no matter what is shared. There will be many people who are unfair or damaging or harmful or dishonest. Will anybody love them enough to speak the truth? Will you speak the truth in love? So there's a gift of grace, there's a gift of truth, and then finally, there is this gift called time. Time. You know, sometimes I can give people grace, and sometimes I can give them truth, but then all of a sudden, I think, if they don't change overnight, I'm done. I get so impatient when I've had one conversation and they don't change the way that I want them to. And before long, my impatience turns into frustration. And even if I have only talked to them one time, I feel like, well, that didn't work. Forget that. Folks, we are such idiots if we think the first time we speak truth to someone that they're going to change overnight. 
People have patterns in their lives that have been days, weeks, months, years, sometimes decades, and they're deeply ingrained within their bodies. Folks, we are foolish to think that in one semi-adequate conversation that we're going to change another person. It just doesn't happen. And so typically what happens is then we're like, well, I just give up. And you don't know what would happen, but you're just, I'll give up because I'm impatient. A couple of weeks ago, we were making pizza burgers at our house. We like making pizza burgers. And we had to get some hamburger out of the freezer, and I had to thaw it out in the microwave. I put it in for two minutes, and um, I got it out, and all of a sudden it's not thawed. You know what I started thinking in my head? I am not going to take another two minutes to do that. I can't believe it took me two minutes to get that. And all of a sudden, I take the hamburger, and I start beating it, like trying to thaw it out on the counter. And Jen walks in, she's like, what's going on? This is not thawed. And, you know, she's like, just put it in the microwave again, you know? Now, am I the only one who's messed up enough that sometimes I get so impatient that I don't want to give two more minutes for some hamburger to thaw? Oh, no one raises their hand there. You're all good. Okay. Well, God bless you and keep you, and we are done. (laughs) Folks, sometimes people who get in my life, you know what I want to do? I want to microwave them. I mean, not literally. Some of you are like, yeah, me too, man. Let's put them in there. No, 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 no. I didn't mean literally. But I just want to just be able to have one conversation, just one sentence, just one word. Why don't you change? Why aren't you any different? But that doesn't work. Folks, there's going to be somebody, maybe there will be multiple somebodies, who are going to say something that they don't deserve grace around your Christmas table, but you know what? You don't either. And neither do I. There's going to be someone who needs to hear truth. But we'll try to convince ourselves, well, this isn't the right timing. I shouldn't say it right now. I don't know if I'll share it the right way. There'll be someone that you'll want to give up on. You just don't have the time. I get it. I know it. It becomes difficult. But you're not in charge of them. God is. And God's working even when you don't see it. Folks, the only thing that you can bring to your table this Christmas, guess what it is? You. And you get to determine what kind of heart you'll have. And so what I wanted to do was simply give you a moment to ask God this question. God, this Christmas, when I go home for Christmas, is it grace? Is it truth? Is it time? What do you want me to bring? Maybe it's a combination of them. But what gift do you want me to bring? So let me give you a moment. Ask that question. Of these three things, God, what do you want me to bring as a gift this Christmas? Just close your eyes. If this whole God thing's new to you, just take a moment to chill.
given, but you could be a grace giver? Is someone really creating chaos in the family? Do you need to speak truth? Is there somebody, man, you've tried multiple times, but would you give it one more? you to stand and I'd like you to think about that word or those words that you would give as gifts but you know something interesting came to my mind this week and it's this that you can't give the gift of grace you can't give the gift of truth you can't give the gift of time unless you know that you're loved by the almighty God And maybe some of you are here today and you've never really thought that God loves me. That God left heaven to come to earth as the baby Jesus. Not just the baby little Jesus, but he actually came to be Savior of my life. To make my life right. But you've never thought that you would be loved enough that way. And this is what I want you to know, folks. That if you were the only person on planet earth... During that moment when God said, you're going to earth, my son, he would have done it just for you because he loves you that much. Oh, how he loves you. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree. Bending beneath Weight of His wind and mercy All of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And great your affections are for me Though how he loves us so, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree. Heaven meets 
team to come up. They'll be on the sides of the screen. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray with you. But I was thinking that maybe today for some of you, you're here today and you're hurting and you've never really made a commitment to Christ. You've never really understood that God would move heaven and earth because he actually did because of his love for you. And folks, maybe for some of you, today is your day that you would say, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to be Savior of the world. I'm a difficult person. I need his grace. I need his truth. I need his time in my life. And if that's you today, if you're ready to say today, God, I'm tired of just going through the motions and trying to make things work, but I need you in my life this Christmas then I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And here at the jar, we, we never pray alone. We always pray together. And uh, if today's your day that you say, I want your forgiveness. I believe you came as a child and you died on a cross and you rose again. If today's your day, then I'd invite you to, to just say this prayer out loud with me. And here at the jar, we never pray alone. We always pray together in community. So I'd invite you to just repeat this prayer after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's go crazy for everybody who said that prayer for the first time. And uh, if you did say that prayer, back in the back corner, Tom Truesdale's there. Fight the traffic if you have to. Get a Bible. Have someone to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week, folks. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.